Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. And this morning, I am Annie Warmke. And tonight, you will be what? Greta Garbo? Who knows? Anyway. Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, today, we're going to talk, hopefully not. She's been dead for a while. I know. That's what I'm thinking. Today, we're going to talk about utility solar or clean, safe, too cheap to meter. So I, I, I apologize for throwing that in, but uh, that's an old quote from uh, a fellow named Strauss. I think his first name was Lewis, chairman of the United States Atomic Energy Commission, who in 1954 announced that nuclear power was going to be so cheap that his children and grandchildren would never have to pay for energy again. It'd be too cheap to meter as cheap as water. And all these years later, we're finding out he was wrong about that as well as wrong about water. So hopefully we're not going to be wrong about what we're going to be talking about today. And Back we're, in the days when we still didn't measure the true cost of anything. Yeah, well, that's that's, that's still today. That's yesterday. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, today we're joined by Jake Kuss, if he's still there. And uh, Jake is assistant director of the Utility Scale Solar Energy Coalition of Ohio, and has spent years developing solar projects and promoting solar education throughout Ohio and moments listening to us ramble on nonsensically <laughs> before we get to it. So, how you doing there, Jake? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Well, we appreciate that you decided to stay through that silly introduction. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you're a resident expert here today about um, utility scale solar. So why don't, why don't you just give us a little bit of background about what is, in fact, utility scale solar and, and how does that differ from what people might normally think of as solar, solar electric? Sure. So there is a a very technical definition to utility scale solar here in the state of Ohio. Um, It is 50 megawatts and above. Um, And when you're trying to picture that, it's more or less, you know, 300 acres plus of solar fields. Um, And so that's that's still a number that a lot of folks can't understand. But um, when you try to wrap your arms around it, the definition really lies with the state. Um, once you get to projects of this size, it's something that falls under the Ohio Power Siting Board, um, which is under the Public Utility Commission here in the state. Um, and once you reach that size of solar project, it goes through a pretty rigorous process with that state agency. Um, it takes years to get through. Um, it's obviously very pricey to get through that as well. Um, but it's a, a distinction that you know takes it to the state level. It's something that state agencies are overseeing. Um, and it's a very robust process that folks are going through um, in order to get to solar farms of that size. So when, when they're talking about 300 acres, obviously we're not talking about rooftop solar. Um, we're, we're talking mostly about things that are mounted on the ground. Exactly. Yeah, these are um, <clears throat> currently in the state all ground-mounted systems. Um, you know, we do talk to a lot of folks that automatically think about residential rooftop installations um, or uh, you know they've seen a warehouse um, where the entire roof is coated in solar panels. Um, those are obviously other examples of, of photovoltaic PV solar here in the state, but um, those are generally behind the meter projects um, where that electricity is being used by that facility at that moment. Um, when we talk about these utility scale projects, 
these are in front of the meters. Um, so these are going directly into our grid. Um, and that is part of the reason why that process is so uh, rigorous is that it's going into um, our grid here in Ohio is the PJM grid, um, which covers, I think, 13 states. Um, but it's it's a big deal. It's, it's a large scale power generation site. Um, so there are a lot of federal oversights. There are a lot of state oversights. Um, and it's not exactly those electrons aren't linked um, to any one account physically. Um, they can be contractually, but that's another discussion. But it's something that is producing power for, um, you know, those electrons will uh, fly freely um, over our transmission network in that moment. So, so conceptually, it's like, okay, we're going to build a coal power plant, but instead of building a coal power plant, now we're going to build a big solar power plant. Exactly. Exactly. So, so my first question is, uh, so are these public utility companies doing this or are they a mixture of private enterprise and, and only this is going into this big, um, you called it PJ. PJM. PJM, mm -hmm. it's only doing that. It's not going like we have a solar co-op uh, where we are, um, Buckeye. And so it's not going mm -hmm. into those places. It's just going into this, the, the bigger, the bigger arena. Yeah. So generally the folks that are developing these projects um, are not the utilities themselves. Um, they are folks. Um, so with the utility scale, Solar Energy Coalition of Ohio, um, USEC for short, we have currently 31, 32 members, um, and most of those are developers from all across the U.S. Um, who see this great opportunity in Ohio um, to build utility-scale solar plants here in the state. Um, and so those are generally um, you know, individual companies that are doing that. And whether they are teaming up with um, utilities or you know other energy companies to be the long-term owners of these systems, um, you know one of the utility-scale solar installations here in the state uh, contracted with the city of Cincinnati uh, to provide clean energy to the city. So there are a variety of folks that can be off-takers, um, folks that are contracting for that electricity that's being made. Um, whether they're private entities, whether they're municipalities, um, or they are themselves um, utility companies that need additional production um, behind their uh, portfolios. Um, there's really a variety of folks that can um, essentially buy those electrons, but generally they are individual companies that are coming in and developing these. Um, and it's, it's a very um, you know, relatively new industry here in Ohio. Um, but as I've kind of referenced, there's a unique opportunity in the state at this time um, for folks to to build these types of projects. And so um, that's why we're seeing an influx here in the state of utility scale solar. The thing that just doesn't make sense to me, though, is I, I hear you saying there's some partnering with public utilities. But if this is about making money and clearly it is private enterprise recognizing the tremendous opportunity that this brings financially with their initial investment is so why aren't the public utilities taking the lead in this since they're supposed to be making money too? I think that's a good question. Um, there is generally with utility scale solar, there's an immense um, capital requirement. Um, there's a lot of front end work um, and front end capital that needs to be put into these projects. Um, 
So I don't know if exactly that kind of caters itself more toward these um, private enterprises and these developers um, that I work with on a day-to-day basis where, you know, they're willing to put in the work and they're built for that type of project versus a public utility that um, is increasingly, you know, becoming a transmission network, essentially. A a lot of the utilities that we see. But wait, what does um, that mean, a transmission network? Uh, well, generally, there we're starting to see as coal plants go offline, um, as we start to transition away from natural gas, that our traditional utilities like AEP and First Energy and folks like that here in the state, um, their generation portfolios are shrinking. Um, and so a lot of their focus is going toward the actual transmission lines um, that they own and operate throughout the state. Um, and I think that's that's going to increase kind of that focus for those entities as more and more of these utility scale solar sites come online um, because they will not be owned and operated by AEP and First Energy. Um, It'll be these entities that we've been discussing. And so, um, you know, we still very much need that transmission network and we need those lines um, to be, you know, owned and operated by very competent companies. It's just the the ownership of power generation is starting to shift a little bit. Well, I think it's important uh, to understand utility solar a little bit for people who don't make this their lives, like like you and, mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent me. Um, I understand that in the U.S., you know, there are different regional authorities, and PJM mm-hmm. is one that you mentioned that services our particular area. And if I remember right, that stands for like Pennsylvania, Jersey, and Maryland, but but it really something to do with peanut butter. No, (laughs) (laughs) but it goes, um, it really extends all the way from New York to Chicago pretty much Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that region. And if I were to hook up a power plant in this case, a solar array anywhere within that network, am I right in assuming it can be redirected relatively easily anywhere within that regional authority? Is that is that too simple a concept, or is is that is that right? These are all interconnected, and because electricity goes at the speed of light, it's going to get there pretty quick. That at the highest level, that's right. Okay. Um, well, put... Yeah. Don't don't make it any <laughs> any more complicated for me than that. So 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 then, and and I've heard you speak about this before, but um, what what makes Ohio? particularly attractive right now within that network because we're seeing a, a pretty good boom of utility going Wait, on before in you go there i'd just like to ask i i, I thought i after editing a lot of uh, solar <laughs> energy installation books um i thought electricity lost some of its oomph as it traveled no jake's making sure made, you've made sure that doesn't happen anymore right <laughs> i mean i thought that was a given no actually there's uh, and and again jake you can correct me if i'm wrong here but with mm-hmm. these high speed high voltage um transmission lines there is loss there is loss due to voltage drop um, um over distance but that loss is relatively small um you know uh, in the in the magnitude of say eight to ten percent over over uh, as much as a thousand miles is so is that customer, pretty correct? Customers have to pay for that loss. No, no, it's it's built into the overhead. Oh, I see. Is that I okay? Think, am I am so I yes. totally wrong here, Jake? <laughs> I don't know the exact percentage um, on those um, you know kind of high voltage transmission lines, but um, I think kind of to your point, 
Annie and to your point, Jay, you're both kind of right. There, I mentioned earlier that you know folks can contractually own the power coming off of these systems, um, but in reality, you know those electrons are traveling at the speed of light, and so they're you know they're they're going to be used up wherever they're used up. But that specific amount of energy is putting being put on the PJM grid. Um, and so anybody within that grid from Chicago um, up until about Hoboken, New Jersey, can contract for that energy. And so while physically the electrons they might be using may be coming from a different source, their contract for that energy is ensuring that X percentage of the electricity being developed on the grid that day is coming from a solar plant that they are contracted to. Um, and so, you know, if uh, say um, Intel, who's coming in here in central Ohio here shortly, they have a very high renewable energy goal, 100% by 2030. They will in all likelihood start contracting with these solar facilities here in the state. The physical electrons that are going through their plant may not come from those sites, but they are contracting to ensure that the actual amount of electricity that they use at those new fabrication plants is coming online each day at solar plants within the PJM network. Right. It's sort of like if you think about a, a network of water pipes mm -hmm. and water is being pumped into the system at one point, water is being taken out of the system at another point, but it's not the same water. You know, as long exactly. as you're accounting for water going in somewhere, water coming out, and you're saying, okay, I want this, this electricity to be coming from clean, you know, renewable mm -hmm. sources like wind and solar. Um, exactly. but, but like a water pipe, there is only so much capacity for this system mm -hmm. to hold water. And I think that maybe gets to the point uh, that I want to touch on. But before we touch on that, let me remind everybody that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. All right. So it's the end of the utility system as we know it. And if I were a utility today, I would be worried about my very existence. So um, well, the transmission guys anyway. Well, so, no, so, all of it. Well, so but here's the thing. To me, it still feels like this is a bit of greenwashing from the utility companies. Like they're saying that it's got to be a marketing strategy oh, no, no, so don't. much so much of our energy is coming from solar and wind and blah 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 don't listen to her jake i'm on your side on this yep so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think annie is always skeptical about this but basically we're saying Let's not look at it as a specific, you know, we're so, <laughs> no, let's, let's not, not no, worry no, about who killed who I over know, there. Let's not worry. No, we're, <laughs> we're used to saying that, um, that I've got, uh, solar panels on my roof and I'm using solar electricity. Now we're sort mm -hmm. of backing up and saying, okay, the grid as a whole, if X percentage is coming in as solar, then I'm using X percentage of solar, regardless of where my particular electrons came from is, um, so how does that play with your idea of virtual electricity? Okay, well, before we get to that, <laughs> before before we rock your world, but um, <laughs> no, uh, Jake, I want you to get back to- uh, You told me to ask questions. Right. I, I wanted to get back to um, talking about Ohio. You know, why is Ohio mm -hmm. good for so, for utility solar at the moment? So, so uh, give us a little bit about that. Sure. 
Um, so you touched on one of the major points in this, and if you think of it as um, a water system um, with water flowing in and out with different faucets and different drains, with so many coal sites um, transitioning offline um, and with the slow transition away from natural gas, there is currently capacity on the PJM grid um, where more or less there's space within those cables for more electricity to be built um, and to be put online. Um, and so that is one of the major reasons why uh, we're seeing a, a boom here in Ohio for utility scale solar is that there's capacity. Um, if there was no space on those cables, um, we wouldn't see it at this time, but um, the heavy transition away from coal has basically enabled solar to step in um, as one of the energy producers to fill up that capacity. So that's one of the major points that plays into this. And when you think about the PJM grid specifically, um, it really is, you know, Ohio and East. Um, so it is Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland were the originals. Um, and then we kind of dip up into the Chicagoland area. If you think about that and you start to look East from Ohio, there are really heavily densely populated areas um, and you get the Appalachian Mountains. Um, and solar, utility scale solar, really looks for flatland. Um, that's the best space for this. And so when you look at the PJM grid, the first time that you really hit um, pretty consistent flatland is when you get to Ohio. Um, and so that's one of the things is, you know, we're within this grid, there's capacity on the grid, and Ohio has um, probably the most flatland uh, within that, that specific area. And so all those play into it. Um, and Jay, you touched on it earlier. This is a lot of greenfield development. Um, it is a lot of previously disturbed land, largely agricultural, going into these solar farms. Um, you know, there is brownfield development and things like that. But when you think about needing more or less 300 acres plus, um, brownfield sites tend to be smaller than that, um, or they are, you know, surrounded by more developed, more urban areas. And so when you're talking about a project that needs to be 50 plus megawatts, um, you need a substantial amount of land. Um, and with that, it's typically agricultural land here in the state. But Well, that sounds that, like it's going to be a problem, though. I mean, I mean, there are going to be a lot of folks pushing back saying, hey, you're taking prime real estate and mm -hmm. turning it into solar. Isn't there a better alternative out there? Well, they don't uh, stop it when they're turning it into houses. I know. And and that's that's been an issue. You know, you have Walmarts going up on farmland mm -hmm. and people say that's okay. But 300 acres at a pop, um, you know, that's a lot of farmland to take offline. It is. And we, we do hear that um, feedback pretty consistently. Um, and I think it's, it's being able to have opportunities like this to talk about these issues that I think is so helpful. Um, but one thing that I really like to Im impress upon folks is these sites all need to be within uh, one or two miles of high transmission lines here in the state of Ohio. And so when you look at those maps, there is a very finite amount of land here in the state that is suitable for utility scale solar. Um, and so I know there are concerns that, you know, solar is going to take over Ohio farmland. Um, or that entire counties are going to be, you know, covered over with solar panels. But um, it just doesn't make sense to do that. Um, you know, you, you have to be close to these high transmission lines, um, you know, with substations and things like that. The, the infrastructure needs to be there. 
Um, and so there's a very finite amount of land that makes sense for this. Um, so we're kind of in a, a boom period here where we're seeing a fair amount of utility scale solar development, um, but it, it cannot continue on forever. Um, and uh, you know, all the projects that pop up, not every single project will get through um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so it's, it's something that there's a balance between you know, not taking all of Ohio's farmland out of, of production, um, but just the ones that make sense um, just to produce you know, kind of local clean energy. Um, we are taking a lot of coal plants offline. And historically, that's been a big makeup of Ohio's power generation. Um, and so there's need. Um, and so it's, it's how do you want to produce that power now? Um, how do we want to produce it here in the state? Um, and, and, you know, how do we go forward with that while balancing with our um, kind of agricultural history and livelihood here in the state as well. Well, there has been a movement, though, towards agrivoltaics, which is integrating mm -hmm. both solar and agriculture. Um, so so it may be that there's a happy median there, but it, it's not going to be suitable for the corn and soy kind of farming. But on this program, we've railed against that for, you know, multiple episodes as well. So maybe that's a good thing that we can get more into. Well, one of the things that is is important, I think, is that we need to also be backing up and saying, look, the land is multi-use. And so it might have all those things happening, but maybe there can be uh, landscaping that produces uh, perennial plants that could be sold or uh, could be picked to be sold as floral um, uh, horticultural things. Or pollinator havens. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. a prairie kind of thing. There are a lot, plenty of things that would grow around there if they were treated properly, which brings me back to that it's not, there's not a deep enough drilling down of thinking of these things. And while I'm against, you know, taking all the farmland and turning it into uh, any kind of something else. <laughs> like farmland. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see it actually be real farmland instead of commodity, uh, corporate, whatever. But what what I'm getting at is that it feels like we need to have a broader plan than just we're going to turn, we're going to take this opportunity to convert, um, you know, shutting down coal, uh, uh, coal facilities into into solar generation, solar energy generation. Mm -hmm. um, and so the zoning, my guess would be that corporations and the government are uh, all keen about this, but then, you know, there are ramifications, there are true costs involved in what what's happening. You know, we turn farmland into um, 300 panels. So what happens to the wildlife? What happens to the insects? And it just, it just feels like we got to do a better job with this because we got a chance to do a better job okay. with it. So Jake, reassure us, reassure us that you're going to be not just better than Cole, well, he's but, not responsible. but the best. No, <laughs> no, Jake is, Jake is personally responsible. Okay. He's, he's an expert here and he's so. All right. So you're in trouble now, Jake. I mean, this is a green industry and hopefully you're looking at this mm -hmm. from a little bit more of a holistic approach than, than the mm -hmm. old uh, Peabody Coal Company coming in and paving paradise. Yeah. Well, I think kind of based off the points that you just touched on, kind of three things really popped to mind. One being um, that they're kind of in the agrivoltaic space in the pollinator habitat space, um, that the industry is um, gearing toward that direction of, of ensuring that, you know, wide swaths of these, these projects are pollinator friendly habitats, um, that there could be some sort of dual, dual use for these spaces. Um, 
Additionally, I know that developers um, and universities as well are better studying agrivoltaics. And if there is some sweet spot with a specific uh, crop or whatever it might be that, that fits very well um, with these solar fields, um, and, and folks are working on that. And so I think it's, it's something that's in the works. You know, this is new enough um, in our state and a little bit here regionally that folks are still working on it, still trying to figure it out. Um, but it, it's something that folks are thinking about. Um, and so kind of to your point, Annie, of having strategy moving forward, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of parallel path, but it is something under consideration. Um, no, I just want it not kind of to the be second... a parallel path. That's all. Sure. I, I also yeah. want to say yeah, that other countries think... have uh, other countries have looked at this and and thought about it. And particularly, I'll point out France, um, which has done a lot of um, crop development with uh, with the panels in, in how the panels are placed, so that they could continue to grow some crops. Um, so it it isn't a unique mm -hmm. idea, but but it isn't parallel, Jake. It, it all comes together because those panels have influence on that land. And also there's plenty of money to be made mm -hmm. by looking at two or three other ways to utilize the land. So it's multi-use. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think one thing, one other point that I, I wanted to really <clears throat> bring to the fold is that, you know, with these solar installations, um, you touched on residential development. Um, you can also bring commercial developments into the fold. With these sites, um, a lot of the racking is driven in with piles that go, you know, five, 10 feet in the ground. All of these installations have pretty robust decommissioning plans um, and bonds put in place to ensure that there, you know, there are funds to decommission a site if need be. One thing that we like to discuss is that if you get to the point after your 30, 40 year contract and the landowner says, you know, I'm ready to get back to agriculture. Um, you know, I've gotten my taste of solar and I'd like to move beyond that, that that's in place, that you come through, you pull the panels, you pull the piling and that land goes back to agriculture. It, it's not a permanent change to the land there. Um, and there are even studies that suggest the soil will be healthier um, after having decades of rest, um, and especially if you bring in pollinator-friendly habitats and things like that, that there can be a bit of regeneration for that land. So, it, it, have, it's a it's not a it's not a, a permanent change um, that you will see with other types of development. Have you seen any movement towards? I know we talked about brown fields, which are a little bit you mm -hmm. know slightly polluted, uh, and gray fields, which are are um, paved. Um, so, so we talk mm -hmm. about large abandoned uh, supermarket or, or um, mall wow. sites or abandoned airports, mm -hmm. or there, there seems to be a lot of that. And you could put ballasted systems in there. Have you seen mm -hmm. any movement in that direction going on? There is here in the state, um, and it, it falls outside of um, kind of USEC specific utility scale focus. Um, but there is a bill for community scale solar, uh, community solar, which does have a point of emphasis towards Brownfield, um, toward Appalachian site development. And it's trying to bring those sites more into the fold. Um, you know, we're, we see it here in Columbus, the old um, landfill south of town that's been capped um, will be turned into a solar farm. Um, and I forget the exact uh, wattage of that site. It falls below that 50 megawatt threshold, but it's a site that you really can't do much with, um, but solar is the perfect 
um, you know, kind of new age for, for that field. Um, and to your point, as we get to the, get to the time where there are these huge, you know, mall developments or whatever it is, old airports, you do see that scattered around the U.S. where old regional airports have been turned into solar farms. It's just kind of finding those examples, finding the off takers for that and making it work. Um, but okay, it is well, something Jake, that Jake, I've I, seen. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to cut us off here, and <laughs> but it sounds hopeful. So uh, let me let yeah. everybody know that you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank Jake Kuss for joining us today from, uh, let's see, I lost track of your, your organization, the Utility Scale Solar Energy Coalition of Ohio. And we want to thank our Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich. And thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and Jay, better eat your veggies this week. I will with solar energy. All right, till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockstation.com.